Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us on how it's not good for man to be alone and why we have Christ in us. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. We are going to continue in our study in Genesis 3 this morning. And uh, what a wonderful passage that is for us, Genesis 3. So here we are in Genesis 3, and if you'd like to turn there, and, and uh, first I'll begin with prayer. Father, thank you so much for being for us, Lord, our great what we are not. Lord, our righteousness. We are not righteous, you are our righteousness. Lord, we are unworthy, you are worthy. Lord, we are sinners, you are pure. And this morning, Lord, we pray that as we read this passage here this morning, you would, Lord, work in our hearts to draw us closer to yourself, to be more united to the Lord Jesus Christ when we leave today than when we came. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Genesis 3. Now, verse 9. And the Lord God called Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, wherever I commanded thee that thou should not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel unto the woman. He said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and the desire, thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, that thou, saying that thou shalt not eat it, eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it was thou, was thou taken, and dust thou art, dust thou shalt return." And Adam called his name Eve, because she is the mother of all living. Unto Adam also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, what we saw last time we were together was uh, something very important that we wanted to focus on a little bit, which was something that God identified about man in Genesis 2.18, the chapter before. Because there in that verse, the Lord God said something the first time he had said that something wasn't good, and that was not good that man should be alone. And then he made a helpmate for him. Those words, though, it's not good that man should be alone, are very important description of man. Man alone, that's not good. That's what he was saying here. That's a description of every man. God has made man, and it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for any Eskimo to be alone. It's not good for any Ethiopian to be alone. It's not good for any Navajo to be alone. It's not good for any man 
to be alone. And that statement there, that was made before God gave man the human companion that he did. It wasn't good good for man to be alone from a close human companionship. And so he made the woman. But those words, it's not good for man to be alone, were true in a more fundamental way because what we saw was that as soon as God made man from the dust, before he opened his eyes in those verses that are there, in those 11 verses before this statement in Genesis 2-7, before he opened his eyes, it reads like this, and the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. Now stop, at that point you stop. Before you continue, you could say, at that point, though it's not written, you could say, and it would not have been good for a man to be alone from God. So what did God do? He breathed into him the breath of life. He breathed into him, and so he became a living soul. So it was so foremost not good for man to be alone from God that it was foremost fatal for man to be alone from God. And so at that very moment that God created man, God, Elohim God, breathed his person into God. He breathed his Ruach Elohim, his spirit of God, into man. And the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was the spirit of life. And therefore, man became a living soul. What's that mean? Without God breathing into him his person, the spirit of life, man would have been a dead soul, but man was a living soul. And so, For a man to be alone from God was fatal. It was death for a man. And so God breathed his spirit of life. With the presence of God inside Adam, inside man, man became a friend of God. Man was a friend of God. And he had, from his very start, he possessed his greatest treasure. Man had his greatest treasure. He could say with Paul in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. Paul called him in Galatians uh, 1.16, his son in me. Please God to set me from the womb to reveal his son in me. He also called him in 2 Corinthians 4.7, this treasure in an earthen vessel. And Peter called him in 1 Peter 1.11, the spirit of Christ which was in them, speaking of the prophets, which was in them. It was so not good for man to be alone from God. It was so not good for man to be separated from God. It was so fatal for man to be separated from God that that's where the devil took his careful aim, right there. And his whole goal in Genesis 3 is to drive that wedge to drive that wedge and to bring about that separation. Why? Because with that separation, death would come. Death. And that was his goal. Now, as we saw that, and what did we see? What did we see God do when man had separated himself from God through disobedience? Did we see a God of anger? Did we see a God of wrath? Did we see a God of vengeance? We didn't see that. As soon as that fatal separation occurred and from between man and God, that fatal aloneness from God, 
What did we see God do? He springs into action. God sprung into action. And what we saw him do is we didn't see the God of anger and vengeance and wrath, but we saw the God of care and concern spring into action. And then he says, and he starts off with the question, where art thou? Where art thou? We saw God humble himself to seek Adam. We saw God who was ready to leave the 90 and 9 and go find his one Adam sheep that had gone astray. And so now, when you look again at at Genesis 2.18, and you think about how this verse describes what's happening in chapter 3, it is not good that man should be alone. And you could say, it's not good that man should be alone for me. I'll make a way for him to return to me. I'll make a way. That's what Genesis 3 is all about. It's a way that God did make for man to return. That's, that's a hero. That's our hero. That's God. Well, that's why we say El Gabor. We say God, our hero, who did this. That's something to worship God for. So he made this way for man to return. And the way for man to return was a way called the way of repentance. The way of repentance. And the way of repentance, as we saw, involves three parts. And unless anybody doesn't get these three parts right, they can't repent. And if they don't repent, the Lord Jesus Christ was very clear. And he said, unless you repent, you perish. You'll all likewise perish. The first test or the first part of repentance in verse 9, the where art thou, the double meaning of the where art thou, is the mirror test. We saw last week from Revelation 3.17 that there was a mirror and man looks in the mirror and he sees one of two pictures in this mirror, okay? And what he sees determines whether or not he passes the mirror test. What's the mirror test? Revelation 3.17. The first thing he sees that is described in that verse is the failure. He says, because thou, it doesn't say look in the mirror, but you can say that if you want. I like to say that because when you look in the mirror, you know, anyway, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Okay, now that's failure. Okay, he just failed the mere test. That man who says that just failed the mere test. Okay, but there's the other side, he says, and you look in the mirror and you say, and no, it's not that, and you see, thou art wretched miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If a person looks in the mirror and sees that picture of himself, he passed the first step in the repentance test. So the question is, for any person, how do you see yourself? You see yourself as rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. God says, I can't help you. You gotta go someplace else. You won't get help anywhere, as a matter of fact. But you failed. So that's the first step. Or do you see yourself as poor and miserable, blind, and naked? Oh, then God can help you. God can help you. You've passed. For so many, the where are you? You know, do you feel the heat of the shame and the guilt and the nakedness before God? And their answer is, no, the only heat I feel is this guy standing at my screen door saying that if I just repeat these words here, I'm not going to go to hell and I'll go to heaven. And so I feel that heat. I want him to leave. Okay, that's not the same thing. So the the W here of the where art thou or the mere test is very, very important. Second test in verse 11, who told thee? It's the who test. The who test here is the question here, who have you sinned against? 
Who have you sinned against? Well, if you say, well, I really only sinned against my fellow man. I mean, you know, if I hurt somebody, I sinned. If I didn't hurt anybody, I didn't sin. If I didn't do to them like I would do to myself, then I sinned. Failure. That's a failure of that test. I didn't pass that test. Because the who told thee thou art naked, it's God. Before God, they were naked. The who is the God. It's the same like David said, against thee and thee only have I sinned. So that's a very important test for the path to repentance, the second part, is to see that it's against God personally that the sin was committed. And then the last part we saw last week is the W of the what, what test. And that's in verse 11 where he said, he didn't say what, but he said, did you do this? Did you, he put the words right in Adam's mouth, said, Adam, can't you get it straight? I've given you the words of your confession. I ate of the tree which thou commandest me not to eat of. That's all he had to say, but he had to put in the Eve part. He couldn't resist it. He had to blame Eve. So this is the what test. Lord, please forgive me for being full of fear. Did he pass the test? No, he fails. That's the what test. Please forgive me for all the shame I feel. Failure. Please forgive me for my depression. Failure, why? Those are not confessions of sin. Those are the confessions of the consequences of sin. But Lord, I ate from the tree that you told me not to eat of. Lord, I did the deed. Lord, I sinned against you. I broke the Ten Commandments. That's the confession. That's the what. That's the what test. To repent, you got to go back to where the crime happened, not the consequences of it. You got to go back to where it happened and say, I'm sorry I did that. And if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it, or I'd sure. I don't want to do that. See, that's, that's the what test. So you got to have three parts to pass the road to repentance. You pass those three parts, those tests, and God says, oh, I can help you now. I can help you. You, you understand that you are poor, miserable, blind, naked, and wretched, and, and every other kind of adjective you want to use. That's fine. Okay, you're bankrupt. Okay, I can help you. You understand that you sinned against me because I'm the author of morality and righteousness, okay, I can help you. You understand what you did wrong, you're framing your actions, and you're, you're describing, I did this, which was in disobedience. All right now, God says, now we can start. And that's wonderful. Now, we come to verse 21, 321, where it says, and unto Adam and also, and to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skin and he clothed them. Now I want you to picture this scene. Adam's standing there, and on his face, I want you to picture that he's thinking about what has just happened, right? The Lord God made coats of skin for him and clothed them. That's amazing. And he's standing there with one word when you got the picture in your mind. Picture the word amazement. Tom, today you talked about the amazement of Adam's face of what God did for him. Just picturing that is just a wonderful thought, but how important is it for us to just stand back and consider what he has done for us? You know, there's a phrase that comes to mind, and it's this, never lose the wonder of it all. Never lose the amazement of it all. I'm sure all of us remember 
the time when we realized what salvation really was, that when we realized what God had done for us, and there was an amazement that came upon on us, and there was a, a, a wonder of it all, and we were just filled with the, I can't believe it. And we have the and when we sang these these hymns, which we've sung before, after that it just all became expressions of our heart when we would sing words like, and can it be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me? Who caused his pain? For me, who him to death pursued? Amazing grace. How can that be? You know, hymns and songs like that, they all of a sudden just express the amazement of it all and how it just jolts us. And we sit back and we take time to consider what has really happened, what he has really done. You know, those are the times when we go way beyond just knowing theology, way beyond just understanding a systematic theology, a doctrine, a body of faith, a body, a statement of faith, a set of beliefs, way beyond that. And we stand back and we say, wait, wait, I have to have some time to really think this through. I have to have some time to let it grip my soul, to let it shake me at my core, to let it all really arrest me. And that's the way it is, that we need to take time to, as you said, stand back and consider what he has done for us. That's what David was doing all the time, and that's why he's writing those psalms, because he's constantly saying, praise the Lord with me. Oh, worship the Lord with me. Let's sing together to him. What is he really saying? He's saying, we need to take time. You know, God has given us intelligence. God has given us a mind. And with our intelligence and with our mind, he wants us to think these things through especially John chapter 1, which starts off with amazing, amazing statements. In the beginning was the Word. So the Lord Jesus Christ is called the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He said all things were made by him. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the creator. There was not anything made that was made that was not made by him. So he is the creator of everything. And then it says, and the Word became flesh, That's Christmas. The Word became flesh. God became flesh and dwelt among us, it says. And then we know what happened when the Lord Jesus Christ was made flesh. We know what happened when God became flesh. We know how he said that he came to lay down his life, a willing sacrifice, He came with the love of God shown to all, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. We saw how he said, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. We saw how he laid down his life. We saw something on the cross that is absolutely amazing. God dying for man. God 
condescending to man to pay his debt. God saving man from the grave and from the death that he deserved from the wrath of God by God having all the sins of man placed on him, writhing and suffering and pain on the cross, crying out from the depths of darkness that he willingly went into to save us from our sins. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God doing that for us, the creator dying for the creature's sins, those things are the amazing things that are in God's word that need to come. We need to take time and let the amazement of it all shake us again. Let the wonder of it all cause us to marvel as we consider these things. That's why it's so important to never lose the wonder of it all. Never become so religious that these become just dead truths. Never become so routine that we just recite words and prayer without our whole heart being in it. That was the thing that characterized Noah. He was tamim, which means complete or perfect in his heart, wholehearted. In other words, after Nehemiah had built the wall, he says that there was no holes in the wall that he built around Jerusalem. And it says, he says, the wall was complete. The wall was tamim. And that's the word that was describing Noah. There was not one half-hearted bone in Noah's body. He was wholehearted for God. So when we read these verses, for example, in Revelation 5.12, where it says, And they were saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And we look at that with our intelligent mind and we're saying, Why were they saying that he was worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing? It was because they were saying he's worthy. Why was he worthy? Because they had taken time to stand back and consider what he did. They had taken time to stand back and realize not an angel sent to die for men, not other men sent to die for men, but God himself, the great creator, humbling himself, walking down those steps from deity, from glory, from power and authority, walking down the stairway of the steps of condescension to man and coming and being born of man, taking on him a robe of flesh and thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was God, but made himself of no reputation so that he could die for man. Seeing that, it's such an amazement and such a wonder that we will, when this grips us, we'll join them, and our voice will be in there loud like theirs, and we'll try to be the loudest of all as we say, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Then we'll join David 
And when he says all in Psalm 64, 4, 66, 4, all the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee, they shall sing to thy name. We will be among those singing and will be singing to that name which is above all names, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll be singing wonderful hymns of praises like this. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful. And my song shall ever be. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is my Savior's love to me. You see, that's what it means to stand back and to consider what he's done for us. And then we'll join David and we'll say, you know what we really need to do? We need to do what it says in Psalm 34, 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let's talk about how God became man and out of his heart of love took on all the sins that would have condemned man to hell and took them upon himself willingly and then paid for those sins with his own death on the cross and crying out from the depths of the darkness that he was willingly put into when he saved us from our sins and will say with the song, Oh, how marvelous, oh, how wonderful. Thank you for joining us on Christmas Eve Day. Now, would you like to give the gift that never stops giving? Tom Cantor's testimony on DVD or in booklet can help reach a lost Jewish person or someone that you know that needs the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Or go to friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247-3051. Call us today and we can get you a Tom Cantor DVD and booklet to help reach a lost Jewish person or someone that you know that needs the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. And give them the gift that will last eternity. Thanks for listening, and join us again on Christmas Day tomorrow for a special message.